Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Today's episode is episode four of season eight, Listen. The Doctor is fixated on the idea that when we are alone, we are never alone. This episode is written by Stephen Moffat, directed by Douglas McKinnon. It originally aired on the 13th of September 2014 and was originally watched by 4.81 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. Hello, this is Auburn. Hi, this is Frank. Hi, this is Josh. Hi, this is Brian. The Doctor speculates that there are beings in the universe that are so good at hiding that we never see them or sense them until we are alone. When we talk to ourselves, they listen. He travels to get Clara to study this hypothesis, but Clara is dealing with a terrible date with Danny Pink. Both she and Danny have regrets about how their night ended. The doctor dismisses the date and entices Clara with thoughts of the unseen companion. He tells her of a dream throughout time of people sensing something in the room when something under the bed grabs their foot. He turns off the safeguards and has Clara use a psychic interface with the TARDIS to bring them back to the moment she has had that dream. Clara concentrates on the dream when her phone rings, making her think about Danny. The TARDIS picks up on her thoughts and travels to the West Country Children's Home in the mid-1990s. A boy named Rupert Pink waves to Clara from his room, so Clara goes to see him. The opening shot was interesting of seeing the earth because you've seen that before but to have the tardis doors open right next to it was a little yeah. unnerving and then having the doctor doing a yoga stance on the, this, the yes. top <laughs> See, that was different it's like okay this is gonna be a different episode the opening had so much promise for things to come <laughs> yeah oh, I, don't know. I might be in the minority here oh that's okay but yeah I, I like what the doctor was the questions the doctor was posing to himself, but to us, really. Yeah, but I don't remember the doctor talking out loud to himself a lot. They never really showed that. Well, he's never really alone on screen. That's true. <laughs> he needs an audience. And, and Frank, the only time that uh, the doctor was by himself, I think, that we've seen on screen like that was uh, David Tennant right before uh, Donna came on board, I think. Or be- in between Donna, something like that, in that time where he's like, Bab- oh, you know what? I think it's the. Um, the one with the adipose, the partners in right. crime, mm. where he was babbling before she became an official companion, or sorry, <laughs> or the runaway bride. They've also, <laughs> also talked, right. They've also mentioned many times that he's not good at traveling alone, mm-hmm. and even Donna in the bride said, you know, find somebody. You need somebody to tell you yeah. no. Mm-hmm. You know, he needs that uh, feedback. Sound, sounding board. Sound bar. Yes. So we're along the same lines, just different words. <laughs> yeah, he needs that. Um, I think this doctor lends himself to talking to himself more than any of the others. Correct. Yeah, this doctor is very different than the others that we've seen in the new uh, versions yeah. of the doctor. He's just, I mean, he's very dismissive of Clara in a funny way. You know, he doesn't care about her date. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you already took off your makeup. It's too late. Because I didn't take off my makeup. <laughs> oh, you must have missed the spot. Anyway, <laughs> just is done well. Some really good writing. Uh, he did do some, what I thought were really 
bad Moffat double meetings, mm. you know, during the date, why it went so bad was, you know, oh, I'm going to go for the afters. And he's like, I mean, dessert, not that we're going, you know, just all the awkwardness of it. Mm -hmm. of how that had the double meaning, which are really bad. And then I'll bring up some other ones, which I only caught after watching it twice. Going, oh, that could mean this and loved it. Mm. <laughs> so there's still that great writing that he <laughs> is known for. Well, I think he's just really pulling from a uh, coupling when he's doing mm. the Danny and the Clara date. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's all about misunderstandings and people getting offended. I could totally see Susan and Steve doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Company. Oh, my gosh. How did I not catch on to that? <laughs> That's perfect. The dialogue is really good. Like, I, I like all the, yeah, like you've been saying, the double entendres, the awkwardness is well written. It's just the overall story I find confusing. Yeah, because there's like two stories. Can we have an episode that focuses on one story? Because it again, it feels like what we've said before, where the doctor is sort of an inconvenience because mm. uh, to me, like Clara is trying to decompress from this bad date or not not bad, but it went wrong. So she wants that moment to kind of like be in self-pity, wallow in it. But then he's like, let's go. I'm not ready. So I feel like mm -hmm. that it reminds me of Amy and Rory in, in their later part of their run when they hear the TARDIS. They're like, is he coming now? I don't want to go now type of feeling. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there was much at stake for it to be a rush. Like there wasn't any reason yeah. to, to try to figure out this dream or this no. thing quickly, which isn't bad. Like, I mean, the doctor's always fixated and gets in a rush for his own sake yeah. but we didn't have anything else like helping us drive into the the story or the urgency of this mm -hmm. right well, i think i think that come, uh, what you just said there i think it comes a lot from the doc this doctor is very abrupt he's right. on his own he's, he's on like, his own uh, he's on his own timeline well he's also he, hyper focused he, on certain things he's yeah. very manic yeah, yeah. He's, one thing that's going on with this doctor is that, like you said, there's laser focused, he's fixated on something, but he does it in a way that negates and forgets everything else that's around. You know, so mm -hmm. even in the yeah. last episode, you know, he had a feeling of, no, 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 this isn't it. This is what I'm thinking. This is my theory. And he has to prove that his theory is right. He has to mm -hmm. prove that there's something out there. So that's why that's the new mystery for him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think some of his intense, I think he had a recent experience on the TARDIS of, of what we, he was talking about, the chills on the back of his neck. And basically it kind of, what we see at the end of the episode is part of why he's so obsessed with trying to figure it out. But we don't know that in the beginning of the episode. This is a very retrospectively watching episode where, oh, yeah. where you're like, uh, you're kind of like, so what? But when you know what happens at the end, it's 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 a bit of a Kaiser Sose, but it's not so obvious. So you, you're not enjoying it on that level at, up front. But and what's nice about that is that the doctor doesn't know either. Right. It's not like they're keeping something from us. Right, right. It's and, all and revealed think, to all of us on and screen. I think, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm done. I think Auburn, the fact that it has two stories in a way is because it has to, because it's hiding that other story. It because we need a story to follow so that because there are a number of reveals that if they were tipping that off we would know it and it wouldn't be a surprise so right. knowing what we know at the end who wrote listen on the chalkboard the doctor the we'll doctor. get back to that don't we oh okay yeah, we'll go now uh, <laughs> the doctor. Uh, uh, i'm but, not 100 okay 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, That's I, the, other, the other thing too is I don't know. Yeah, I'm not as de- I'm not definitive in that either. I think I think it does leave it definitely leaves some questions at the end of this episode. Who was under the blanket? Who was under the car? We can I, we can Frankenstein some theories that I have. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. Okay. I, I, theory. I think they left it ambiguous on purpose. I mean, they were you know signposting that it's ambiguous. Yeah like over the top like oh it could have been a kid it could have been something else i guess what like i find dissatisfying about it is at the end do we answer the a story questions right, not, well, we'll see not really yeah i would i want to say not really but i guess through this discussion we may, yeah, uh, we may. lift some things well, I have theories. I'm sure we yeah, all have of course, theories yeah. to make everything work. But it, it, and it's I like think the entire concept is fascinating. That's why I like the opening. The um, I can't think of what the second one was, but if you could hide, uh, perfect defense, hider, defense, yes. yeah, with the blowfish, and the perfect hider. And I want to know not who wrote "listen," but what happened to the other words: evolution, you know, skill, hunter, defense, hiding. Where did those words go? Oh, did they get erased? I didn't even notice. There's only one chalkboard that I could see during the whole thing. I kept trying to find, right. are there more than one chalkboard? It's in the pocket universe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just those little things. like, wait a minute. They got the good shot, but it wasn't, uh, it was a, to me, out of continuity. Uh, well, I have, theory, but... written on the board. I, I have a theory. I have I a guess theory. they're showing us writing that so that the signature or the writing was the same. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. No, no, no. I can't bring it up now. I have to bring it up okay. when just time. Hopefully you remember. Oh, I'll remember. I, I'll remember. Before we go on, there's one more thing with the date. Clara's joke was not funny, and she should have known how he was going to react from when they first met, because that happened then, where it's like, oh, you're a soldier, you kill people. And he takes offense to that immediately when they met, you know, the whole it, drill sergeant, because he was, you know, the coach. It, and just the whole thing. So she should have known better, and it seems like the Claire that we know would have known better. She should but have. But... After her separation, so they changing the character of Clara. Yeah, I also, when I was watching it, I actually took it as you're such a sweet guy. You're not going to even punch someone like because uh, of his demeanor is so sweet that like yeah, that says something coming from you if you're going to kill somebody. Yeah, but that's how I took it in the moment. Sure. Right. If, if this is an insular episode, but we've had that introduction, like Frank said. Right. And it's just, I don't know, it feels like Moffat's agenda. Let's put them at odds and kind of will they, won't they, and put their foot in their mouth for both of them. Like with the dessert and extras, and then with her and the soldier, it just, like, you can see the writing on the wall of how they piece this scene together, sort of. Well, she even says in the conversation later on the episode that she she, she runs, she has, whatever she says about her mouth, she's got a big mouth, oh, she sure. her mouth. That doesn't make it better for me though <laughs> i can just see no, it but it might explain why she misspoke sure sure the other thing that i was thinking that would make that scene for sit better for me where um clara is uh, in self-pity after how horrible the date went and then the doctor's like oh you're in this mode how much time do you need to get over this so we can go on an adventure and then he just travels in time and then like okay are you better now let's go <laughs> <laughs> like he's got a time machine he can do that but that's not who this doctor is i guess well, that would have been funny. That would be a different doctor, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, this one I thought he did really well. This is showing this incarnation of the doctor. Then we talk about how Clara t- goes into the like the psychic plug with her hands into the console. Maybe, Frank, you can help with this. But in my mind, I was thinking that the TARDIS and Clara have already kind of made amends. They are okay. They are friends. But this is not that Clara. Is that right or no? No, no, it is. But that's just one level. This okay. is... 
she's human, so needs the physical contact to do the so the psychological connection or the psychic connection, so the TARDIS can get to that period in time in her brain. So mm-hmm. they needed a physical connection. All right. I, I have just no problem want... with that. What I have a problem with is it kind of you know erases the whole impossible girl. Cause... That's that's the thing I was going to bring. I'm like, <laughs> okay, you're kind of like taking away from what that was before. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's why I wanted to talk to you, like specifically, specifically with you, because I know you have thought about this more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. It's just because they had that thing, they could have done that in a previous episode to yeah. cut out a lot of that Backstory? female rivalry. It seems like they're trying yeah. to do for the Doctor, or you know, why she doesn't like Clara and locks her out. So it just seems we'll forget that part of it because they came up with a new idea. This is different. We've never seen it before. Okay, this I kind of like, but it just changes so much of the past you know going they, they never used it so it's like okay well we just have to let that go because they didn't come up with the idea at that point sure yeah but right, yeah then. i agree with you it's just sort of wait a minute <laughs> this could be very useful in a lot of different things yeah i i think like but that goes along with like clara being a little bit out of character at least from our points of views like yeah we can explain it later but it's all those little things where it's like well that that doesn't quite fit and that doesn't quite make sense with what i know and like the other weird thing about the the villain that we don't see is that we've had villains that do pretty much the same thing as like whatever creatures the doctor imagines are following him in the silence which is very close to you know whatever this could be mm-hmm. um so that that's like uh those are my things that i i had trouble getting over to enjoy this and it, and it's right up front like you know perfect hiding and like we've spent so many seasons with <laughs> perfect, hiding. perfect hiding yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah. also the bastion errata nobody sees them you know, so it's it's just when this was written as an idea of a story so it's like uh you know sometimes you just have to give it because even just the psychic link i like better because the memory is somewhere in clara's mind she can't remember when it first happened how it happened she's like she doesn't even know she really had that dream it's just something so common so i like having that no we're going to delve into your brain just like the doctor needs to touch the person to try and do a mind link like he's done in the past this needs a physical connection to it but it still just sort of uh, plays around with the history yeah rupert tells clara he is scared of what's under his bed she slides under the bed to show him there's nothing to fear and coaxes him to join her while comforting him something sits on the bed Clara and Rupert quickly come out from underneath to find someone sitting on the bed under a blanket. The doctor arrives and tells them to turn away and tell the being they will not look. It can leave and they will not look, and it does. Clara takes toy soldiers and places them facing the bed, telling Rupert that they are his army. He names the army leader Dan. Dan the soldier man, Danny Pink. I I like this scene on its own because it shows Clara doing stuff that is uh, heroic, like she's comforting uh, a a child, like a save the cat type of moment. But then you get creeped out with the weight on the bed and the mattress and then them underneath. I'm like, that's genuinely pretty scary. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I was looking forward to finding out what was under there because it just seemed something she or the doctor would do would remove the blanket in the past incarnations of both i guess you know they would i I want them to i want them when they're underneath the bed and the mattress comes down you're totally freaked out but it's like okay on three one two three and push really hard (laughs) back up (laughs) and throw whatever's up there off balance and then get out of the bed out from Mm -hmm. under the bed well someone's thinking that's good (laughs) 
I do like the the time travel kind of paradoxes, you know, of going back and setting things into motion that you didn't even realize you set into motion. Yeah. That's really cool. I wish like I wish they had done a better connection to the end, like of connecting that to like everybody. Like but Yeah. I this, thought about yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, it, go ahead. At at this point, um I it like we all know i think the the show is signposted it enough and we see that clara knows we know who rupert is like as soon as he right. says rupert pink yeah um so i do enjoy that like whoa how do we get to transforming him into danny and i, I thought that was well done but again with the like you guys said with the whatever creature or kid is on their bed um like a I, I I like the ambiguity, but I think like we need to. I would have liked it better if we had pushed it one way or the other. Like you know, For make sure. it make it really something alien, or give us a clue at the end that it was all uh, in our in the doctor's head, and it was just a, a child at the home. Mm -hmm. I do like at the beginning when the doctor is going in and talks to the night watch guy, um, <laughs> Reg. Reg, yeah, and like. I'm pretty sure the doctor turned off his TV with the Sonic just so he could steal his coffee. But, you know, that's the kind of, I do yeah. enjoy those ambiguities. Like, yeah. like what, what really happened there? And then even the doctor was the one who, who was, who stole the coffee for sure. Yeah. Um, it's just like that Batman moment, but then you see Batman leaving. <laughs> yeah. It's just, right, it's, just, right. it's just very funny to see the doctor next scene. He's just drinking. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of it in this episode, sort of, uh, and, and it's a Rashomon style storytelling, but you're only seeing one of the through stories. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, aside from the bed sagging, this this whole bit can also sort of fall into, you know, when you see a blanket bundled up on the bed or in a chair, like, is that a person? No, it's not a person. Is that a person? You know, and because, yes, to us, the camera, it was obvious it was a person, the head moved and this, that, and the other. It was a weight on the on the, on the the bed, but like, it's almost like, I think they left it that ambiguous because even when they were looking away from it, they ne we never saw anything actually happen. Mm -hmm. And then the door slams, how many, you know, and then that's an age old thing too. It's just like, is, was it the wind? Was it just my fear? Like, yeah, the, the window was open, it blew, could have blown the door shut. The blanket could have just been bundled on the bed from when he got out of it, aside from the sagging. So how much is their fear really uh, 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 playing on it? Um, they obviously pushed it enough for us to be like, no, there was someone sitting on the bed. Um, but I think that's sort of the ambiguity they're going for. Um, and then the other, my favorite part of this episode and some of my favorite writing now to, to, to this date, now that I just watched it again, was the whole speech about how fear makes you have superpowers. That's awesome. And you think, you know, you know, you're afraid because your enemy's not afraid. But if your enemy's not afraid and fear gives you superpowers, you're actually stronger than your enemy. Yeah. Like that whole thing. It was just fantastic and then they, they elaborate on it more in the end a little too much but yeah uh, no but um, but i remember watching this live and this was the moment that i'm like okay i think i can like this doctor because yeah in the other in the other episodes prior to this episode in the season he hasn't really done anything that is like for me familiar of who my hero doctor is supposed to be so i love that he does that to the young rupert pink and saying like what you just said josh that you can use fear as a superpower and it's it's tapping into that thing of a kid having a nightmare, but then a parent just saying, 
don't be scared it's nothing no you need to kind of like give that kid some sort of tools as yeah. to explain the the noise he heard or the the scratching on the window is uh or tree even, branches yeah i mean that's the thing or, or even it's okay to be afraid that means you're yes. ready for it's you're ready for danger if some nothing's gonna happen but if it were you're ready for it yeah and i like that that perspective change of fear is coursing through your blood but it's also giving you something to combat it and i like that yeah and again, this is the first time I've seen the Doctor do something like that in this season. I would well, love for this episode to be used in college in a psychi uh, <laughs> psychology class. Yes. <laughs> I mean, just the idea that they're going along with what is fear, what isn't fear, how people manifest what they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just, I think just going through all this, watching it again, it's like, that's what this episode's for. <laughs> a psychology class yeah. to go about the and whole even human nature. Now that you mentioned that, even the date, they're both afraid of the date going badly and saying the wrong thing. Right. Hmm. So I, I, that, looking at it from that perspective, I really like this episode. When we first watched it, not so much. But Well, I will tell you that I usually complain about style over substance, but when thi with this one, the style was so horror-esque yes. that, that I really enjoyed it. But I was able to say I like it because of that and not because of the story quality. And I think because of that, I didn't like it because the ending didn't pay off. Yeah, yeah. So I see what you see, say because it was such a great horror story leading up to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the part that I didn't like. So seeing it from this point of view and seeing it as just the, you know, looking about how people deal and deal with fear and how fear is always there. It just, you know, put that in a sense, that's a different perspective that it's yeah. like, okay, this makes so much more sense watching it this way. I mean, jumping ahead a little bit to the end, it would have been great if the fear was nothing. So this was like fear is fear itself type of thing. Right. Which I think is watching it the way I did. That was what I got. Yeah. I don't think it's realistic to say, but it is screen time possible that it was the doctor who sat on the bed because he was in the room once they got out from under the bed and you never really saw the bed. When they jumped out from under the bed, you didn't see the bed. No, but we saw the being behind the doctor behind them. and but danny in, saw in, the being but, coming closer but, and that's when the doctor said turn away turn away he could have bill and ted it and gone back <laughs> and got on the bed you know from the future so it could have right. been him and he knew like that was all happening so he was you know there was no danger because the doctor under the blanket and it's a self-fulfilling right. prophecy sort of yeah thing. yeah i don't think that's the case but <laughs> it's possible well, what I find funny is that they didn't hear that person come in, but mm -hmm. they also didn't hear the doctor come in and he was sitting there the whole time. So it's <laughs> going, well, you didn't hear it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I just found the logic of like, don't look away. I'm like, doctor, you're telling us things that are helping combat this fear. Like, you know what it is, but you don't. So it was just weird. That leaves credence to what Alburn was saying. And Josh is saying that that could be the doctor because he knows how to what, what we're doing. He knows the purpose of this. And we don't know what happened before this episode that got him into this state that I think he was worried for Danny and Clara. He wants to find out what it is, but he couldn't do anything to save them at that point. You know, so don't look, it'll go away because it wants to hide. So in his own mind of how he's seen it, it's he wants to find out what this is but if it's something bad he can't protect us too at this moment he doesn't know enough to know what to do at this moment or it could very well be an entity that is there does these things but has no malice and it's our fears that are interpreting it like 
it's a dangerous thing. Meanwhile, it's just like, oh, so what'd you do today? Well, I sat on a kid's bed and said hi, but they turned away from me, so I left. <laughs> Are you guys gonna look at me? Here, I'm gonna take my blanket off. Now, well, I'm leaving if you're not gonna pay attention. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, I'm, I was no, making I a joke No, I know, it, but, I know, I know. I mean, I kept thinking, like, as we were talking, I kept thinking of the end of Back to the Future, where it's like, the doctor has to correct the timeline to get Clara and Danny to have an offspring, and he's like, What's wrong? Is it our kids? <laughs> right. <laughs> I love the little foreshadowing that they did, which I did not catch until watching it again. And that is Clara looking under the bed. You go, you know what's under here? Me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, it just tells mm. us. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was brilliant writing to go, we didn't even see it or, or hear it when it happened. I, I loved it. Clara's messed up a lot of little boys. <laughs> I wonder if she went into all the rooms in that orphanage or whatever housing. <laughs> the doctor and Clara leave after the doctor puts Danny to sleep and gives him a dream of Dan the Soldier Man. Clara convinces the doctor to take her back to just after she left the date so she can patch things up with adult Danny. They begin to argue again, and this time, Danny leaves. The doctor shows up and introduces Clara to Colonel Orson Pink, a dead ringer for Danny, who is from a hundred years in the future. The doctor used Clara's psychic remnant in an attempt to find the hiders, but the TARDIS took him to Colonel Pink at an outpost at the end of time. Orson is an early time traveler who was marooned there. He is somehow connected to Clara. Somehow. Really? Somehow. <laughs> I thought that was a great uh, sort of fake out where you see the uh, sanctuary base spacesuit from like uh, Waters of Mars and that uh, mm -hmm. same pit. That similar like, look. Look, come out and he's, and then you're thinking it's the doctor waving Clara in, like gets going the TARDIS. Yeah. Time is of the oh. essence and then takes off the helmet. It's not. That's great. Great fake out. My only problem with it is nobody sees this guy. <laughs> you know, this. He's got a perception filter. <laughs> Maybe. I'll give I mean, you that one, Eugene. Okay. Because the doctor is the one that <laughs> sent him. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if that's okay, yeah, see, that's what I don't mind. Like, <laughs> if you could easily just dismiss something, a problem because of whatever, then uh, sure. How cruel to take him back to a restaurant, you know, in like the classical time before he was born. With and no then, food. Yeah. And then take him right back to the the place where he's been in terror for six months. I know. Mm. Oh, with no. And I could see this there, doctor doing no, that. Just don't pay attention to all the food. He even came out of the kitchen, right? Was it the right. kitchen? Or I think it was the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. He's but he doesn't want to be there. He wants to go home. And this was yeah. the doctor's way of getting Clara to help him find out right. what is at the hiders at the end of the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all he wanted. He goes, yeah, I'll take you home afterwards. But he wanted this. You know, so I could see this doctor doing that. Going back to Clara with the date, wanting to patch things up, I think that's a very relatable thing. I'm sure there's lots of things that we regret that we could like, if we had a time machine, yeah. what would we do type of thing? And I think this is great. It's it's a great moment for Clara to be sort of relatable. Like, why would you go into a time machine? Uh, just the way Rose wanted to see her dad in Father's Day in that episode. 
so I thought that was great. Um, yeah. 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 And I like too how that didn't screw up any con- time continuity because basically my first thought was, oh no, you're going to screw it up for the other Claire. But I'm like, no, the other Claire is still you in the timeline. You just yeah. did a bunch of things and then circled right back. Like that's, there's no paradox formed there. Mm-hmm. Right. And then she still, or they still sort of end up arguing again. So it's like they were always meant to have a first bad date. <laughs> right. Oh, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. It's a good point. But again, Clara's, yeah, <laughs> and and in ways that she should know better, like yeah, yeah, not not even the army thing, but the bringing up Rupert thing. Like, aren't you experienced with like you know in, intelligence and secrets and like not sharing things that you know about somebody that you just yeah, learned when from? You're, when you're on a when you're not on an awkward date, you're not thinking. Your 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 heart's pumping. Your your adrenaline's shooting. Like you're not thinking straight when you're very nervous in a, a nervous romantic situation. You just described fear. Josh. Yeah, her, her <laughs> superpower didn't work. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I but, thought it it should have uh, as a funny moment. There should have been a waiter or waitress that came by and had a name tag Rupert, and she just said Rupert. <laughs> No, so this I liked. I see where you're coming from, but this one I liked because it was a tense moment. They got through that, relaxing a bit and saying how silly they've been and all this stuff. So it just comes out. And she immediately knows that she messed up, that she screwed mm-hmm. up. She shouldn't have said it. You know, she gets it. It wasn't like before when she was saying, yeah, well, you were a soldier. So, you know, that line of killing someone means something different from you. It's like she didn't get why that was not funny. This one, she got what she did wrong right away. And it just was a slip. I will say that this scene, it definitely had me rooting for them. Like, okay, cool. We use time travel in a relatable way. Now you're going to be okay with this date. And then it just goes south. So I was like, wow, that's that's good that you got me to feel that. Yeah, I like that. There's also when they're meeting uh, Orson, the doctor says that Clara has a wide face and needs three mirrors. Mm -hmm. And that's what... Uh, Danny and she were laughing about earlier with Courtney saying she can't concentrate in class because her face is too wide. So wide, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, how did those two tie together? It's like, what is that something Jenna has to deal with or what? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I like the self-deprecation, deprecating humor of it. And then I like how he made the mirror jokes earlier. Like, can't you just turn your head? And then he goes back and says she needs three mirrors because her face is so wide. It's just, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, that was very funny. Everything with the, the doctor I thought was great. And then going, well, why did Courtney mention it? What's, you know? Well, he's dropping seeds that we're going to see her later. That's probably why. Yeah. But I think it could have been, I don't know. Uh, the I have a criticism here where Orson Pink is from 100 years in the future. And the doctor yeah. is asking Clara, are you and he related? I'm like, dude, you're smarter than that. The doctor would have scanned him. The, doc- the TARDIS would have scanned him. There would have been a number of things. I'm like, you can obviously see that there is a resemblance with Danny and they're going on a date. So in your brain, you're kind of connecting the dots. Yeah. Um, but what caught me is 100 years in the future is the end of everything. So where is this in, you know, what is this doing breaking canon wise? Is it like an alternate timeline? Like what's it? What's that doing? He was from a hundred years in the future. Right. Of, 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 sorry, he is of, a, of Clara's present? Of this, Clara's this, present. Okay, okay. Right. Supposedly his, her oh, great-grandson. And he, and and, he but then he was travel. a time traveler. And they were supposed to, they said it in line, he was supposed to jump ahead a week. And they overshot. Okay, so he, <laughs> no. he didn't time travel to a hundred years in the future. He was no. from a hundred right. years. 
And then he traveled way to the end. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was sticking in my craw. So they, they say it's so fast that you think that he's from 100. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, no, Frank's right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Say that again. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit that up. Just kidding. <laughs> it was good that even though they were only going a week into the future, they sent him with uh, a base and six months supplies of whatever he needed. I think that's what throws me off a little. No, I, I'm thinking that, that everybody there died, so he just has whatever supplies were left. Oh, so he's part of a team of time travelers. No, I thought he went alone, but he went to the end of the world where it's just an abandoned base. So it's just a bunch of MREs that lasted. Yeah. Oh, so he didn't, mm. he time traveled into that space that was already there. That's what yes. I okay. see it as. I'm I can, not sure I, if it's right or not, but. I'll buy it. That's better. <laughs> it is better. I wish they would have. Again, it's like done yeah, a, I think, a line. I think Frank's right. I think that if yeah. you watch again, they're probably it's probably just worded poorly and and quickly. Yeah, Josh, stop making me edit things. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the TARDIS materializes inside the outpost at the end of time, and Orson packs his things. The Doctor says he will take him home but the TARDIS needs to recharge, so they will leave in the morning. Orson doesn't want to stay, but has no choice. There's nothing left alive at the end of time, but Orson feels something is outside the ship. The Doctor's unseen entity. Orson stays inside the TARDIS when Clara sees that he has a family heirloom for luck, the army leader toy soldier she gave to young Danny. Orson says it worked because they found him. There's your paradox there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if a family heirloom from from the childhood of a hundred years ago made it is still in the family, like they would have to have pictures of yeah, the people yeah. and no right. great grandma Clara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he he pretty much says it. She says because he gives it to her. Yeah. She says, I thought it was a family heirloom, and then he says something along the lines of, "That's right." Like so, he knows it's who she is. Right. I agree with you. Oh my gosh, Josh and I are agreeing a lot this time. <laughs> well, it's like like Auburn's bringing up. It's just odd that if you know what your great grandmother looks like, and somebody is a dead ringer for her, you wouldn't like comment on that. I'm just saying. That's true. I don't know what my grandmother would look like in her 30s. Yeah, but your grandmother also uh, didn't have a cell phone. Yeah, had a camera. And That's the thing. Video. Right. Like, it's a That's lot different. I'm, yeah. Pe people from the last, you know, 15 to 20 years from today are going to be emblazed. You know, people are going to know what they look like. It's a lot different than the 50s and stuff. You, you, whatever. Anyway. Maybe it was lost in World War Three. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and that's it was 100 why years, something could have happened. Yeah, that's why all historical records were lost. <laughs> he just, a... he was only able to save Dan the Soldier Man from. Right. Because well, yeah. that was an electronic. There was an EMP that went off and right. destroyed everything of digital. Exactly. Right. Nobody takes pictures anymore. Skynet. Photos on the. That's perfect. That's, that's, that's it. Yeah. EMP war. Yeah. And that's why they developed time travel within 100 years to go back and stop that. But Right. Yeah. But they went ahead, not. Yeah, behind. <laughs> yeah, they were looking for 1.21 gigawatts. <laughs> the doctor and Clara wait in the outpost to test his theory about the hiders. The outpost begins to creak and make other sounds when three bangs sound from the airlock. The banging continues in sets of three. The doctor sonics the airlock door and it begins to unlock. 
He orders Clara to get to the TARDIS, but he remains because he needs to know and see the hiders. The airlock opens, sucking the air out of the outpost. Orson goes out and saves the doctor, who has passed out. Nice wire work. I mean, how else would they have done that with Capaldi hanging from the thing like uh, sure. uh, Total Recall? <laughs> good sound effects. I mean, they did a good yeah. job of building that atmosphere with reactions from yeah. um, you know, everybody on set. It's also ambiguous enough that you're like, is this the space station settling or is this a creature? I like that. Yeah, I, I was listening to it. It was three distinct bangs, but it was also three bangs in a way of like, I could see pressure building up and then yeah. like releasing and just- yeah. But it was at different intervals. No, so the first it was. was four seconds. I counted, then it was like two seconds, then oh. one second, and then it went back to four seconds, four seconds, four seconds. <laughs> that might that might have been for dramatic tension. <laughs> but I, I liked it, but then it's like, there's a bit of a pattern, you know, like when True. it first starts, it got built up really quick, and then it's re releasing that pressure more at a constant pace after that. Right, And that's right. probably gonna extend. I, I Thinking about it now, uh, because you mentioned the pattern and the knocking, I would have expected the doctor to go to the door and answer with his own knocking to mm. try to communicate Mm -hmm. instead of just let's open up the door and see what's out there do we remember what the doctor did with midnight did he communicate did he do something similar to that like knocking back which one was midnight i believe he yeah, did where they're, where they're trapped on that uh tour bus right, liner right. thing i think we've seen the doctor have fear before both with tenant and with smith and when they were really fearful asylum of the daleks when the docks were coming towards them he's panics when it's really going down to it, because like all the Daleks are coming after him. This, I don't think he's thinking that straight because it's filling his hypothesis of what it is. It's... So everything it is, is what he fears. Yeah. So I don't, I just think um, each one of those three, there was one point, I can't remember exactly where Tenants was, um, but they just weren't thinking or acting like the doctor we've known in that person. And I mean, right. Like when I'm afraid, I want the doctor to come save us and do this. And, and it, that's not the agenda of this episode so it's really off right earlier on when he's he has the tardis in her bedroom and he's like yeah i hid in here in case your date went well and you brought him home <laughs> right <laughs> that was good also uh, clara's here going okay do you now come with your own mood lighting because the lights changed mm -hmm. <laughs> but the accent was enough but I, I, that was a fun little line yeah the accent's enough <laughs> And I was like, why would he have moved? Oh, because he's moody and he's Irish, I get it. Or Scottish. 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 And because and nothing's really happening, they're just waiting, I right. think his mind starts putting pieces together that he looked at a long time ago. Because then he asks, who are you having dinner with? Really seeming to be more interested in, wait a minute, that could be the catalyst to all this. Right. Now, so, that's the one thing I really don't like about this whole episode, is that she just keeps her mouth shut about that. Mm. about that she was that she knows why they went to see rupert and this that and the other i don't unless she's just embarrassed like I, I see no purpose in her hiding that fact aside from creating on-screen tension yeah and that's Three, what i meant by seeing the writing on the wall you can see what they're doing yeah it's basically old-fashioned somebody's got a secret that they don't want to tell three's company fraser you know this all could be solved with a post-it if you, you know there's no <laughs> there's no reason for these two people to not have this information aside from the tension of someone's keeping a secret and we know from earlier that the doctor reiterated how important yeah you know affecting the timeline could be and she's mm -hmm. yeah that's also out of character you know with a companion we expect them to share smarter. with the doctor when yeah. there's temporal problems right. I mean, happening yeah 
to me, that's just irresponsible, an irresponsible companion. We're talking about how Danny was treated early on. And I wonder if some of that had to do with my personal, like, growing dislike of Clara the first time I watched through the season. Because she is, you know, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but as a, as a man, like, I'm going to tend to relate more to Danny, I think, in this scene than mm-hmm. Clara. So in the scenes at the restaurant on the date. And yeah, just like the continued awkward foot in the mouth and even you know being a little like underhandedly mean to him where we've seen that she knows that that's a trigger and i get that yeah she's she's putting her foot in her mouth she can't help it but that that doesn't endear her to me as a character that that like increases that distance Mm -hmm. and then also her not telling the doctor when there are key pieces of information that she knows that she needs to tell the doctor i think also work to kind of like turn down my like how much I liked Clara as a your, character. Your favorability. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And it might have been subconscious. Like I might even sure. I I, yeah. I doubt I put it together at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, a, a bit of a I guess a callback is that when the twelfth Doctor awakes from being passed out, he says, uh, "Santarns perverting the course of human history." He says that to Orson Pink. Those are the first words that the fourth Doctor said in Robot. Uh-huh. Who was describing the events of what he? I guess he experienced in uh, the Time Warrior, which we did with the Third Doctor. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, Moffat knows Doctor Who. He just goes a different yeah. way sometimes, but it's nice yes. that he knows. Yes, he does. <laughs> there's also a line here because they're okay. saying, "Well, why is it unlocking? Why is the door unlocking?" And he just sonicked it, so he triggered something possibly. But then when Clara's ordered back into the TARDIS, she's in there and then she's looking at it going, oh God, he's opening that door. It's him. <laughs> he's doing it. He's opening it. Yeah. And that's when uh, Orson goes outside to try to save the doctor. But then before that, there's that static interference distortion on the monitor. And she's like, of course it's going to be there. I'm like, that's right. what I thought. I'm like, of course, the, the, you know, the, what's it called? The thing we need to see, we can't see. Right. <laughs> this is a point where I realized the correlation between the, a and B stories. And that is the fear that the doctor traveling alone manifests into this hiding and the fear Orson has manifested into what's outside. By being alone, they've made their fears become so real. And I never saw the doctor and Danny or the doctor and Orson similar before. But then just this idea of it is like, oh my gosh, that's like the same thing going on with both characters and how they're handling it. One wants to run and one wants to face it. Right. It's almost like the doctor, because he know because he has this instinctual sense that there's trouble, he goes around looking for trouble. Yeah, and again, that's why I think if this episode was done a little differently, fear is fear itself. Maybe it's a little too high concept for a show like this when we oh, want to see epi- the no, monster. I don't think it's too high concept. I think it's just the way they told it was more horror-centric. Yeah, yeah. I think they focused on the wrong aspects, maybe, is what I'm trying to say. I, I love the horror aspect of it, but... Oh, I do, too. Yeah. That's that's the practical part, you know, like, hard fact. That's the practical yeah. part of the story that Auburn was saying in the beginning doesn't really have a payoff. Like, the horror part of it is telling us factual things and it never really delivers like you guys are saying. I think the psychological aspect of it I love so much, I almost like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just uh, listening to you guys, uh, I thought about um, the first uh, blink, the first one with the the angels and how at the end of that, like it had that wrap up monologue where like, don't blink like every and showing all the gargoyles and everything. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I think something as simple as like a 10 to 20 seconds of that, like with back to the kids under the bed and the hand grabbing them, right. like would have been enough of a capper to, right. to connect it and, and left yeah. it ambiguous. Like, is it real? Is it not? I don't know, right. but everyone's afraid. Like even mm-hmm. even if they had a shot of someone, you know, on some planet or whatever on Earth, like walk into a bedroom and like someone's on my bed and they turn the light on and it's a blanket. That's, mm-hmm. that's all, yeah. All yeah. Problem, you know, I mean, that concept reminds me a lot of uh, Little Monsters with Howie Mandel and Fred Savage, where the portal to the monster world is under your bed. And then I think they did it in a, to a different effect with uh, Monsters, Inc., where the closets or mm-hmm. the door to the bedroom, I guess, is, is the is the doorway. <laughs> No, that's a that's a great idea. I like that, Albert. The cloister bells begin to chime. Clara connects to the psychic interface, which brings him to a child crying in a bed in a barn. Danny stays inside the TARDIS to take care of the doctor as Clara approaches the child. The kid's guardians come in and Clara hides under the bed. They want the boy to come back inside with the others. The male guardian is frustrated with the boy. He just weeps all the time. As they leave, Clara hears him talking about how the boy will never join the Academy and will never become a Time Lord. She realizes that the boy must be the doctor. The doctor has awakened inside the TARDIS and calls out for Clara. The boy in the bed is startled and places his feet upon the floor. Clara grabs his foot from under the bed. She tries to calm the boy by telling him it's a dream and that he needs to just lay back and go back to bed. Everything will be fine if he just lays down again. Clara returns to the TARDIS, believing that there is no hidden beings. The doctor was just scared of the dark. She orders him not to see where they are and the three of them leave in the TARDIS. They return Orson to his own time and Clara goes to reconcile with Danny. Yeah, so the whole speech that she gives him a bit of a soliloquy, which was a, an expansion upon what the doctor was saying in Rupert's bedroom. Yep. Uh, I think is great. I think it's, I mean, if I was had kids, I would write a few number of things down from this episode to tell my kid things yeah. like that. So, um, and the whole thing of like, you know, she is partially responsible for the doctor even having his issues of needing to be a savior or looking for partially? trouble. What's that? Well, I partially, mean, um, this is the first doctor because this is when the doctor was a child before becoming a time lord. Before becoming a time lord, okay. He was just a Gallifreyan. Well, and we saw it in the other episodes where they then take those that have the ability or possibility and have them look into the time vortex, and the master went crazy and the doctor didn't. But that's when they become time lords. Okay, but I I, I like too how there's a motif with Clara how she infiltrates this, the doctor's past, uh, you know from the other episodes yeah and, um anyway i thought it was a very touching scene yeah going off what you're saying like the whole thing about fear uh she said her words i think are fear doesn't have to make you cruel or cowardly and that echoes the promise i think from day of the doctor mm-hmm. but then also we did an unearthly child where uh fear makes companions of us all is yeah. the phrase the doctor said to barbara oh so yeah. that's again that's why we do those episodes to kind of tie right, things yeah. in no it's great and that's what's good about moffat knowing it and so he does bring it back so i love that continuity continuity <laughs> it's it's uh in this scene that i wish that they had somehow psychically like connected her act with him to everybody having that same dream yeah uh, yes i think that would have done what you were saying that the episode is missing have and you I'm, guys had that dream? 
Where somebody grabs your foot? Yeah. No, but I've had the fear of my whole, you know, like when I, for most of my life, especially as a kid, that like I used to jump from my bed to the middle of the room. <laughs> I did too. Or, or when I shut the light off, I jumped from the middle of the room to my bed. It's you know? it's funny because I remember getting my own bed for the first time, and yeah, it definitely felt like there was somebody underneath it. Underneath or in the closet, like I wouldn't turn yeah. around. But, but what's funny is that then my mom gave me a small flashlight and I found that that made it more scary because that small flashlight casted a bunch of shadows. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm better off not using that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I, I love the coincidence at the end when she says you're going to come back to this barn. Mm hmm. Oh, and I don't know if that's a coincidence. That's Moffat's writing. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, not, not coincidence, but yeah, that's the wrong choice of word. Okay. It's a coincidence in the way that she said she said that, mm -hmm. and it basically predicted a bit of the future in a way. Like, she didn't anticipate that. That's her past, is it? No, not yet. Yeah. It's, it's a doctor's past. But they already did the 50th. They already yeah, did it. She, she, so she, she knows, knows. She knows of that location. He doesn't. Yeah, Arrow was in there. Oh, they both do. But no, at that time when he's a kid, but the was kid she know what's going on. So she Clara, knows more than he does. Does Clara know that location? I don't recall. Yes, the, she was in yes. it. But the way it's presented in the um, the episode, I think she realizes it later. When she first gets there, she doesn't know. I, no, I, I think right. it, I mean, I, I, to me, it's just, she doesn't realize what barn she's in. It's yeah, it's just the barn. Different. Right. Yeah, anyway, that's the coincidental part I'm talking yeah. about. My point is how that bridges that gap of like, yes, he does come back there when he's at his most afraid. Mm -hmm. She was speaking metaphorically, but it was literal as well. That you'll come back when you're when you're when you're when you're the most afraid. You'll come back to this barn, you know, as it, you'll replay this moment in your mind, and you'll remember me saying these things to you, and you'll feel mm -hmm. safe when he ends up doing it literally. It dawned on me when I was watching it this time why they went to Gallifrey, and that's which because the which time. Which what? time did they go to Gallifrey? Just now with the barn. Okay. Why just figuring this out, I think, because the doctor wakes up a little bit and moans while she's trying to go travel them to someplace home or someplace safe. We don't know what she's really thinking, but then she's like, the doctor's someplace safe, the doctor's home or something like that. Right. That's why they went to Gallifrey in the barn. Yeah, and I, I took it also too, as these are the two people she has the strongest feelings for today in her mind, like she had strong feelings for Danny just because of romantic interest that she just met and all that stuff. And she has the strongest feelings for the doctor in her life. So in those moments, and, and then in addition to what you just said, like she starts to wake up, so she gets distracted by him. No, oh, to me that helped a lot because it's like, it makes no sense for them to go there. <laughs> I really liked it watching it from the other point of view this time. Yeah. It's like, this is really a good story. Yeah, I gotta yeah. tell you, I, I mean, I'm, I'm over speaking, but when this episode ended, I was like, I think this might be one of my favorite episodes. Hmm. Um, you know, so when Auburn said what he said at the beginning, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm in the minority. <laughs> <laughs> and I really don't have a problem with Clara not telling the doctor. Yeah, I mean, it's not that much of a problem. But Just because uh, you're on your first date with someone, it goes horrible. You don't want to tell somebody that you know is going to judge. I still feel it's ir being an irresponsible companion. When, when you're time traveling and have <laughs> yeah. experienced like the things that Clara has experienced, even this Clara right, with the yeah. doctor, I think if you realize like, I know this person in the future and we just created his identity, you know, with the whole Dan, the soldier man, you should right. speak up and say, maybe uh, doctor, we should pause and That's I think we, I think we might've done something bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could totally understand why she doesn't tell Dan. 
Damn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the doctor, a different story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so going back to the barn, the doctor, the young doctor before he becomes the doctor, I guess. This is also uh, echoing what the ninth doctor told Nancy in The Empty Child, that he knows uh, what it's like to sleep alone. Right. And then uh, with Madame de Pompadour, he also commented on uh, how he had a lonely childhood. She does to him, right? Which is, well, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, she. I think she does. Oh, so lonely, so lonely, Doc. Yeah, right. that's right. So um, this is now the visualization of that loneliness. And uh, Moffat wrote both those episodes. Oh, okay. uh, meaning The Empty Child and A Girl in the Fireplace. I, I want to know why he's crying. Hmm. What I, I want to know more about early life of the doctor. For me, it was a Tuesday night. But it just seems so out of place because it's like he's always crying every night. So it must have been he just got there. He's, a, he's an HSP. Which is? He's a highly sensitive person. Okay. <laughs> he's just a lonely kid going through a rough time. Which I know, he doesn't, I know he but obviously going doesn't on to the academy, they the weren't doctor his never fits in. No, but they were, he was you know, trying to get to the academy rather than the army. He's not at home. Those aren't his parents. Come in with the other boys. What's the BBC's uh, children's hour? But I could see a spinoff like uh, Gallifrey Academy on, <laughs> you know, a little half hour, couple kids doing doctory stuff <laughs> in robes. Being terrified and then crying at the end of the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it writes itself. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I guess we are at the end of this, like, there is no monster, or we yeah. are the monsters. Our fear is the monster. Our fear, that's again, fear is fear itself. Yes, now I'm even more convinced because that could have been a kid sitting on the bed. Yeah, yeah, I always viewed that as, eventually I would view that as a kid sitting on the bed. It just all was one of those things where everything, and the noises at the end of the universe were creaking of the station. And why does the door open? Frank's right, because he sonic it. And then he didn't see anything that we know of. Like, no, the, the air shell cracked. I guess that's out of the ordinary, but not completely out of the ordinary. Okay, so all of this discussion that we've been having, Stephen Moffat had a conversation with the other executive producer, Brian Minchin, and he said, what if we make an episode that deals with the sound design? Let's try and do a story that's just about what the doctor thinks about monsters that in in which the monster is never actually seen. So that's why we get what we get in this episode. That's great. That's interesting. It's like, let's make a Jaws where we don't show the shark. Yes. <laughs> let's they make the silence where we don't that's see why was, yeah. that why, That's why it was the, the first one was a success. But they, they still showed it. Yeah, yeah. Just very limited. But mm -hmm. to not show it at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah. Thank as you, Eugene, for explaining that. Yeah. As a horror fan, it's like, I need that payoff. Yeah. All right, so the cast, we have Samuel Anderson returning, like we said he would in the last episode. He plays Danny Pink. And we also have returning John Hurt as the War Doctor. Remy Gooding plays Rupert Pink. This is his only credited acting gig he's done. And this is his first credited acting gig he's done. <laughs> he was really good. I he liked does. that. I wanted to mention I, yeah. it earlier, but I waited till you mentioned him. Yeah, I was surprised that he hadn't done anything else because he's really good in this. And they, in the behind the scenes, they said they enjoyed working with him. And they didn't yeah. know that this was his first acting gig. He watched the episode and was like, that's it. I'm not acting yeah. anymore. I'm too scared. <laughs> they cut the best line. <laughs> Robert Goodman plays Reg. He's the, uh, I guess, caretaker in this uh, orphanage, I guess, for, for uh, Rupert. 
He played uh, Night Watchman in The Nevers. He was in a bunch of classic Doctor Who episodes. He was a uh, Mandrill in Nightmare of Eden. He was in Full Circle with the Fourth Doctor. He was in Arc of Infinity, Enlightenment, Frontios, and Resurrection of the Daleks with the Fifth Doctor. And then he was in The Trial of the Time Lord with the Sixth Doctor. So I think this is the most wow. credits in classic Who of an actor that has appeared in a, a new Who. I wonder if they go back if they go back to these you know classic actors or whatever, or is Doctor Who such the law and order of of Britain that like you just oh yeah yeah I'm on Doctor Who again this week or next month? It's like you I any Doctor Who's this year? Yeah, I think it is that the law and order version where everybody just shows up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Michael Jones is uncredited, but he plays the boy in the barn, a.k.a. the doctor. And side note about that is that the director, Douglas McKinnon, found an old photo of William Hartnell, a young photo. And so they styled Michael Jones's hair to look like that. That's funny. And too bad in editing, they cut the hair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Eugene, I had to. <laughs> and, I'm uh, so sorry to everybody. <laughs> Eugene, what have you done? That's where you put, you're right, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, that, that was more of an, okay, Frank. <laughs> no, it's an embarrassment, but I just had to share it with my friends. Okay. <laughs> so Kieran Shaw, he plays the figure underneath the blanket. So oh. there is somebody underneath there. And this guy is in everything that we've seen in the last couple years. He plays a goblin scribe in The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. He plays a goblin in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. He plays a Ginnar Brick in The uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He is the Bravos Theater sound artist in Game of Thrones when they go see that play. He is uh, Tito in Star Wars The Force Awakens. Nieper's Panpick in Star Wars The Last Jedi. Nambi Jim Jimma in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. He is Karji in Solo, A Star Wars Story. Ulin Musters in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Granik in Andor. And he is Abu in Raiders of the Lost Ark, featuring Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> So, listen, who is this episode good for? Or more specifically, this episode is good for who? A new viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of the show, or a diehard? Josh knows his answer. You should go with him. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Josh. Go ahead. Uh, I say a new who viewer because aside from the horror elements not necessarily paying off, if you're unfamiliar with the show, you, you don't really think about what, you're, what to expect. You, you're just watching it for what it is. And I think the psychological part would would tell you more of what story to follow. You wouldn't be thinking like, well, I want my superhero, the Doctor, to save the, the physical day. Mm -hmm. uh, you would just be watching this this show. And uh, I, I think that's kind of the mindset I was in today. I had no expectations. Just watch, watch it before we have our, our, our episode. And I think it's really, it's a really great time travel show. And, and that's why I think it's great for a new viewer because it has, I don't want to say paradoxes, but it has that C cyclical nature. Yeah, the cyclical nature of time travel things happening. Everything, and it's got great. It doesn't have a ton of it, but it's got great Doctor and and Clara banter. Um, I think all the performances are great. Danny, you know, is charming. Um, 
and it's it, it gives you enough of that horror element, which is really... The thing is, yes, this has a horror element in this episode, but there are... I would say the majority of the episodes of this of Doctor Who feel like a horror movie. Like it's not all that out of the ordinary. So yeah. it gives you a really good taste of of it. And I think again, like anything that I I felt fell short is only because of what I already know about the show. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, I liked this episode. I liked it from the first time I saw it because I always thought about it. Um. And they leave it ambiguous, but not in the annoying, for me at least, not in the annoying Moffat way. Um, it's actually, you know, you have things to think about after watching this episode. It, was there a kid under the blanket who wrote with the chalk? And you can make it be anything you want it to be. Um, but as an episode, I don't know if I would expose a new person to this. I'm, I'm going to go with fan just to go with something. Well, I was a fan when I first saw it, and I didn't like it, so I'm not going with fan. <laughs> Sorry, Brian. <laughs> but because it didn't pay off the way I thought it would in the horror aspect, it just, I didn't like it then. So either I'm thinking like a diehard from somebody who go back and watch it like I did and see it differently. The best people it's for is uh, people into psychology and want to, you know, watch this and afterwards had a discussion about fear and how to deal with that and all this. So that's who it's best for. So we have a new category, people who are a fan of psychology and fear who have never discussed um, Josh makes a lot of good points. No, I'm right. I know, this is really freaking us both out. It's like, okay, Josh, we're working together today. Um, I'm gonna go for casual, because I think you'd want a little bit more information about Clara so you don't get turned off by her like Auburn did. I just can't go for new, which is something holding me back because of not paying off the horror aspect of it. Casual. I think I may have started this podcast voting for fan of the show, just uh, uh, just because like I initially didn't like it, but like Frank said, I'm a fan. But I was a fan when I first watched it of you know a, a whole different time and different characters, so I'm sure that colored my initial response. But I, I like what Josh said and Brian and Frank, um, so I, I think I would put it in casual. I'm not. I don't think I would use this for a new who viewer like uh, unless like frank said they were a psychology student studying fear that quarter <laughs> or semester um so uh, yeah i'm gonna go with casual viewer i'm gonna go with new just because i know somebody who or people that would love the horror aspect of this i think the way i enjoyed it on, on my first viewing uh the idea of uh something underneath your bed and everybody having that same dream i, I love that it taps into that primal universal question or fear or at least we know what that feels like. And and then fear being the constant companion of the doctor, I think is a great idea that they've kind of toyed with over the years. And I, and I like that they kind of manifest fear in a sort of physical embodiment in this episode. Personally, I, I wish it would have went a different way. Like I think I've made it clear in this episode, but yeah, I still enjoyed watching Listen after uh, several years. So that wraps up Listen. Thanks for listening, stay safe, and we'll see you next time when the future becomes the present. You just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. Additional music is by Damiel Paggio. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn, and you can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. 
Subscribe, review, and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Or on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Podcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to support Who New Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, subscribe to us on Amazon Music. And then ask your Amazon device to play your podcast subscriptions. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who, the longest running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain.